0: James Lewis of This Dream House, this show that is all about the house, is brought to you by Appliance Factory and Mattress Kingdom, where you get your best deals on appliances and mattresses. Before we get to our guest, Aaron, Chef Aaron McCargo, Jr., we are going to give out our email address. It's tdhcincy at gmail.com. Once again, tdhcincy at gmail.com, where you can win prizes, tickets to Bogarts, Louder Than Life. Uh, all kinds of fun uh, contests that we're doing. So feel free to ride in. Thank you, uh, Chef, for joining us today.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. I, I'm so excited about this.
0: Hey, it's our pleasure. Uh, since we are the dream house, how about you tell us about your dream kitchen?
1: <laughs> my, my dream kitchen would definitely include uh, a grill or a smoker, next to a fryer, next to a basin-style sink so that I can really get some heavy-duty cooking done. Um, Not too many gadgets, but the gadgets that I do have or would like to have would definitely be pertaining to the very simple gadgets like a good pair of tongs, a heat-resistant rubber spatula, you know, all the basic things. But uh, I'd like to include a flat-top grill in that as well. So I really want a restaurant-style kitchen, as my dream kitchen, to be honest
0: with you. Nice. That sounds awesome. I was going to say, I know my sponsor, Appliance Factory Mattress Kingdom, they do all kinds of stuff with the kitchens from grills, ranges, uh, refrigerators, all that kind of thing. Are you more of a uh, French store or a side-by-side? A uh, French store. Excellent. I agree. I prefer that. And then, of course, I don't even have to ask. Of course, it's gas over electric, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> gas, of course. That's been the question for the last week for some odd reasons I've been bumping into folks that said electrical gas and gas is definitely the first choice. Oh yeah,
0: definitely. That's what all the best uh, yeah. best chefs go with. So, have you always sure. have you always wanted to be a chef?
1: Always wanted to be a chef. Always wanted to cook. Never thought of doing anything else. Um when I was in high school, I thought about maybe becoming an attorney or getting into politics, but I decided to stick with the cooking thing.
0: So, uh tell us about that first oven.
1: Oh. Uh, that that first oven, I have to say, was my easy-bake oven. Um, it wasn't mine. I stole it from my sister's, but uh, that was my first original oven, which gave, gave me some hope that uh, maybe I can do something in the future, uh, whether it's going to be baking or cooking. But I enjoyed playing around with that oven at the age of four, five years old, and um, I think that's where the passion kicked in.
0: So uh, were your parents uh, very encouraging when it came to uh, your love of cooking?
1: Yes, they all, especially my dad. My dad was always the one um, willing to taste anything I was making or creating. Um, always supporting me, whether it was something that I made that wasn't good. Um, you know, he's trying to just, you know, motivate me to to stick with something that I would love to do. His motto always been, pick something that you would do if you never got paid for it. And cooking was that choice of mine. That if I never got paid to do it, I would love to do it each and every day.
0: Speaking of not getting paid for it, early on you were a junior volunteer. What is a junior volunteer? Uh,
1: I don't know if a lot of folks understand the term. It's it's really called a candy striper. So really it was just uh, you're in the hospital and you're just assisting in whatever department you choose to go in or whatever they need you. Um, I went from tagging um, hospital equipment and supplies to finding out where the kitchen was located. And then I became a junior volunteer for – the kitchen, and that's where I really started to learn about, you know, nutrition and dietetics and things of that nature. And, and as reference to the hospitals and what is um, the major concerns for the hospitals, which is low sodium, low fat, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But that was a great start as a junior volunteer at Cooper Hospital in Camden.
0: So it sounds like you did uh, learn a lot at uh, Cooper University Hospital. Um, are there yeah. any things that uh, you would have done differently back then?
1: Um, I I can't say there's anything I would have done differently besides got rid of that red and white striped shirt, because that was really embarrassing. But uh, other than that, everything seemed to have went according to plan. I guess it was God's plan for me to start that way, because I didn't have a plan or any knowledge of how to get into the cooking industry or where to start. Until my mom was like, "Hey, it's the summertime. You need to find something to do." And it was like seventh, eighth grade, and so why don't you be a candy striper like your sister? And I'm like, "No, I am not walking around in Camden, New Jersey, with a red and white striped shirt in the '80s. That's not happening." But uh, it happened. It happened, and it worked out for me. Awesome.
0: Uh, so, what did you learn at the Wilton cake class at uh, J.C. Penny's? And would you tell us a little bit about that class? <laughs>
1: Well, it was funny because I learned a lot about older women um, and how they like younger guys. <laughs> that was my first experience because I was a, a young kid around 13, 14 years old. Everyone in the class had to be 55 to 80. And um, I always, I didn't know what to do. My mom, once again, was encouraging me to do something for, you know, pertaining to food. And J.C. JCPenney's at the time was holding his Wilton cake class. And I, I went there and I didn't want to do it. Um, and then after two or three weeks of it and bringing my first cake in and being able to learn how to decorate my first cake, that really motivated me to keep going with that. And then I, when I got done with the actual class, I decided to start a uh, little uh, cake business in high school um, just to showcase my talents and what I learned there and to make some side cash. So it was really, really um, unexpected, but definitely it was a blessing throughout my life to know how to Bake cakes, decorate cakes, and, and also make money from doing it. So who's a good hustle?
0: Mm-hmm. So who were some of your better uh, clients? Uh, you know, was it more people your age or was it more uh, older adults? Uh, who you know who really uh, took into the bake uh, bake goods?
1: Well, it was really funny because most of the, my high school classmates and people that heard about me baking cakes um, gravitated to me real quick and and very consistently because we didn't have too many bakers or bakeries around um, our school or in the neighborhood and once I started you know my thing was hey launch during Valentine's Day and I made a little heart cake and from one of my friends gave it to him and I'm like hey you just walk with this this is on me decorated and folks were asking like, yo where did you get that cake and then it was two cakes three cakes and before you know it I think I might have made three four hundred dollars um, during the week of Valentine's Day and it was a non-stop 24-hour operation. And I couldn't get sleep, but my mom wouldn't let me stay home. She's like, you still got to go to school. My dad was like, hey, you're going to do this. Stick with it. And then um, it it became very lucrative, and I decided to stick with it throughout high school. So I was the cake man.
0: Nice. So what type of restaurant was Citrus?
1: Wow. Citrus was my dream restaurant. Um, It was me and my buddy. uh, it, it, It was just Ian Russo. He was Jewish. I'm black, of course. Uh, we called ourselves Salt and Pepper. He was the the pepper, and I was the salt. So we played a little bit with that, and he just brought so much talent um, and so much creativity. And we just wanted to wow people with the Manhattan, Philly vibe, but keeping it, you know, centralized in Jersey, and and making sure that folks understood what we were trying to create on the plate. And citrus was just a, a matter of just having big bold flavors, a lot of creativity, and a lot of color on the plate. And that was one of my best projects ever, and I will never forget that place because it really allowed me to showcase another side of cooking that I never got a chance to do, which was a fine dining with a very simple twist, and it was really, really enjoyable to do.
0: So, of course, you had the experience prior to that, you know, of uh, cooking uh, and, uh, you know, uh, preparing meals for large quantities of people. But what were the -the behind-the-scenes issues that go into running a restaurant?
1: The behind-the-issues for what's that again?
0: Behind-the-scenes issues. So, obviously, the the cooking part was probably easy for you, but what were the other things that went into running a restaurant?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's a lot of the things that a lot of folks nowadays forget. Like, the, the cooking is, like you said, the easy part to me. Um, it's the managing uh, payroll, um, making sure taxes are paid, making sure schedules are done, making sure... That you have the proper amount of inventory, making sure your restaurant is clean inside and out, including the bathrooms, the the landscaping is done, um, all the infrastructure, all the, the the nuances that come with running a restaurant. Whether your fryer goes during the, the hot hour, the busy hour of the day, or whether you're you're coming in your refrigerator's down because the compressor went overnight and you got to throw everything out, um, you still got to be ready for the health inspector to come through. So there's like a laundry list of things that if you don't know about them, you'll get into this industry and get caught off guard and be totally shocked and, and won't last long because, you know, a lot of folks tend to look at, hey, I can make a dish and this is something I could do at home, but to do it consistently on a on a large scale or a small scale, seven days, six days a week, whichever you choose, uh, it takes a lot of tenacity and takes a lot of strength, but the management of it and the, the, the organization and all the things behind the scene is what actually keeps your doors open. So, um, you know, you got that battle between what your mental state is, but also what your business state is, what your business mind is like. Because that, that, that's what really operates, um, what, what keeps the operation running is making sure that you cover a lot of bases that folks don't know and see.
0: So what was it like opening your own restaurant, uh, McCargo's Creative Cuisine?
1: Opening up McCargo's Creative Cuisine was really, really a fun project. Uh, citrus had its own type of fun and its own type of energy to it. Uh, It was a total different audience. But when I came back to Camden, New Jersey, my hometown, to open up McCargo's, it was a matter of being able to give the city of Camden something that I I haven't seen and something that I was hoping people would be receptive to. Um, My partner at the time, Alberto Nieves, was like, dude, you can't give them ribeye sandwiches with horseradish uh, sauce and, you know, pickled onions. You can't do a blackened salmon with a blue cheese crab sauce on a ciabatta roll. These things weren't heard of at the time and they were really new to the scene all over the country but i wanted to risk it and and give the, the people in camden great food a great experience give them good ambiance it was felt like you were in like a a nice blues or jazz type environment but um the food was very simple but very once again full of bold flavors and they they wrapped their arms around it and then embraced it and i was excited to to last in business as long as i did with doing something totally different. Folks weren't afraid to pay the price. They weren't afraid to try new things um, that I was thinking of overnight. And it was something that I look forward to getting back to soon for myself. Um, But it was definitely something that was worth it. And I was able to have a lot of my family and friends participate, work with me, and help me grow the business. So it it was a collaborative effort from a lot of folks that believed in me since young in my cooking days, and they really stuck behind me.
0: Did you ever consider consider giving up on your dream of being a chef?
1: I ever thought about giving up on being
0: a chef? Yeah. Did you ever, you know, was there any point that you were like, I don't know if this is going to work out?
1: Oh, that's every day. <laughs> that's every day. You come out with guns to a- a- blazing. But, uh, you know, once you, you, you make a dish or you get a comment that someone's not liking it, or you make something that's a little too salty and your staff is not feeling it, or even if you, you have the 86 night, and which means to, to not have it uh, because you ran out or misordered. Those are things that they, they mess with your head because you feel like the world is you, you're trying to please everyone. That's the mission as a chef for me is to say, I want consistency. I want the folks to come through my doors and be excited about what I'm showcasing. Um, but, you know, you have those days where you don't make any money. You have those days when the schools are closed or holidays and folks don't come out. Um, And and those are tough days to to fight through and mentally and to keep your staff motivated and knowing that if you didn't stock enough acorns, you know, payroll is going to be an issue and that can make you want to shut the doors. Um, You know, it's, it's so many obstacles that come up as a part of owning a restaurant that for me, and I don't know about any other chef, that you got to always be on your toes, dot and I's and cross and T's, because if you don't keep your head in the game and those little things that come into the picture that you don't expect, and if they become consistent, you can actually think about closing those doors. And I, many a days I've thought about, like, this is it. I'm tired. I can't do another 17-hour day. I'm tired of taking home minimum pay. I'm tired of tired being tired. Um, but you got to – it's something that's in you that, that says to keep going. And it's normally the customers and your staff, that are the regulars that show up and your staff that comes in daily on time and are willing to stick it out as long as they see you're there to make sure that you're set for the next day or you're set up for success for that day of business. So um, it's definitely something that I up to today I still carry those thoughts whenever I'm on a project or whenever I'm thinking about doing something for myself. To Is, is it going to be good enough and will I be able to last?
0: So how did you end up applying to the uh, the next Food Network star?
1: Well, it was actually um, – my wife was watching a commercial for the next Food Network star, and at the time, Guy Fieri had just won, um, I think, season three or two, two or three. And she had mentioned, like, hey, you're always cooking at home. You're always, um, you know, in the kitchen creating something new. They're looking for somebody with personality for the next Food Network star. And I wasn't really watching – um, TV at that moment to 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 search for a job with the search for something new to do at that time. I was very happy at where I was at, and I said, "Well, hey, if you, you're willing to help support me with this and walk me through the steps, whatever's needed, I'll I'll try anything." And so it was audition after audition, and I tell you what, it was the craziest thing that after three times of missing to get my demo tape in. Um, They always kept extending the deadline, and I think it was just a way of making way for me to get there. And sure enough, you know, once I got on the show and started to realize what TV was and what to be a spokesperson or to to know what your culinary point of view was, all all this terminology that was not – it was totally foreign to me. But, you know, competing with great chefs and, and, and knowing that the goal was to have your own show, once I got there, that was all I was, you know, targeted to do. And it was a great feeling once I realized I was one of the finalists, but it was an even better feeling when I realized I won Next Food Network Star season four.
0: That, I mean, must have been a huge <laughs> moment. Uh, so how did winning the Next Food Network Star change your life?
1: It's a, the first, it was, it was something to encourage um, the people around me, because it wasn't too many folks from Camden, New Jersey, that actually were known for cooking or known to be on TV as a chef that had their own show. And that was very good for my family, but it was also inspirational for those in the city to, to let them know that uh, whatever you put your mind to, whatever you're passionate about, whatever you set out to do, if you just pray and trust God and just go for it, you got a chance to, to succeed. you just got to believe in yourself. And once again, not give up. And as my father always told me, you got to play to win. You got to play to win. And um, it was great. I mean, Of course, the money and the traveling and the, the gadgets and everyone wanting to do something and give you something to try out was awesome. Uh, but it was mainly about um, the inspiration I was allowed to give to folks that they can put their mind to anything and do it. And to take a guy like me from Camden that was just a you know a closet cook, so to speak, and be able to be brought to the forefront of the country to to see him compete and then win and have his own show that that's that's a a bonus in itself
0: so it sounds like it wasn't just the fact that it changed your life, but it changed uh the people around you and the people in your community it It seems like it showed there was a potential for a brighter future for for anybody.
1: Exactly, and and that's what a lot of folks were telling me, even up to today uh, when I'm traveling or even just in the supermarket or the post office. Folks come up to me and they tell me, like, I've started to cook because of you. I went back to school because of you. Um, I want my kids to, to meet you, and, and I want you to inspire them to go after their dreams. And, you know, mainly adults uh, that have probably reached the age of 45, 50, 60 years old that passed up on a passion of bears or um, – a hobby that they wanted to make into a career and they, they they tell me like they come and ask me like how do you do it and i'm like i just prayed and trust god and and then went after it and didn't look back and it's really encouraging and i'm so grateful that i have so many people that look to me in that way for encouragement and advice on how to pursue their passion not to be a chef not to be on tv but to do what they love to do
0: oh definitely Um, That is important to be able to pursue your passion. And then speaking, if there was someone specifically interested in the culinary arts, uh, what advice would you give them?
1: I would tell them first to start at a fast food restaurant because that to me was my biggest breakthrough was working at McDonald's. I remember in high school telling my mom I will never work at McDonald's. I will never say Can I take your order? Would you like to add fries to that? Would you like to have a toy? No, that was not happening. And my mom always told me, never say never. And sure enough, when I went to culinary school, I needed the job to survive. And I was at McDonald's asking, can I take your order? Would you like to supervise that? And um, it was a good experience because they teach you a lot of principles about how to stay clean, um, how to stay organized, how to, you know, deal with volume um, and how to know if you could do the same thing every day. And so a lot of folks are used to, you know, looking for the big picture first, the fine dining or opening up their own joint. But there's a lot more to the cooking world to me that I think that a lot of folks that are missing out on. And that's knowing that if you can hang in there and do all those long hours and you can put up with someone complaining about something but still try to make it better and make them happy, this is the service business. those are things that are key to knowing if you want to be a chef or not. Everything else comes. You can, you can, right now they got Google and Pinterest and all those things. I didn't have all those things um, as resources to me at the time. So the cooking part of it just became easy. But uh, what I'm noticing is a lot of folks forget forget about the the management part of um, getting in culinary arts, The making sure that you're consistent with um, the food that you're putting out, making sure that you're, taking care of your customers and your employees, number one, because without the employees, you don't have a business. Like, And these are the things I tell folks to do. Make sure that you're ready to be a servant. Make sure you're ready to, to be able to take orders and make sure you're ready to make sure to put in some time and some sweat equity and some tears and, and everything else to, to do this. Because if, if you're going to do it right, it's going to cost you something. And that's why I would say think twice, but definitely go try a fast food restaurant and and see if that is what you really want to do. Because cooking is cooking at the end of the day. If you take the name Chef off of the title, you're still a cook.
0: Awesome. So what do you prefer the uh the more straightforward recipes? What do you prefer the less complicated and more on the flavor?
1: I rather prefer the the less complicated recipes with the more flavor because flavor is what brings you back. Flavor is what sticks in your head. A steak is a steak. But when you flavor that steak or you season that steak a certain way, that's what reminds – that's the remembrance that folks normally have about that steak or that steakhouse or that restaurant they went to. Um, And that's what I aim to do. It's all about that big bowl flavor coming from flavors and herbs and spices and definitely some technique. But it's not about oversalting anything. It's not about making everything spicy. Um, It's just about making sure you have flavor to it. And and you cook it to the, the precision that it's supposed to be cooked but you make sure you flavor your food. And that's one thing that bothers me most is to have unflavorful food. I don't care how the presentation is. I don't care how much the ingredients cost. But if you don't have no real flavor, that's going to make me be like, wow, now that's banging. It's it's not worth it.
0: So uh, do you enjoy uh, guesting on Bar Rescue?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it's It's an experience that I think a lot of chefs, restaurant owners, and those that are thinking about becoming uh, restaurateurs or getting into the food industry that need to experience. So it's a, it's a real show about, about real people and being a guest chef and being able to go in some of these kitchens and hear what some of the cooks have been dealing with, with some of the owners, uh, finding out what's going on in the cook's lives outside of the show and outside of the restaurant, and also um, seeing the transformation, um, not just with the ambiance of the restaurant or the bar of but the, the, also the attitudes and the, and the inspiration that the, those that are going through the process, um, how they look and feel after five days. And that's what's great about doing the Bar Rescue.
0: So if I'm not good at uh, flavor myself, is there a sauce or a spice that you would recommend that uh, would help me with uh, flavor? <laughs>
1: I like that, my brother. That's hot. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the spice and the sauce. Um, those are two of my signature spices and in, um, in the food enhancers that I created. So when I was traveling a lot um, in my earliest stages of Next Food Network Star, my, I, my wife, is, who is not a cook, she's in the medical field, and she was always saying, like, every time you're away, it's, it's a struggle because we always have good food, but it's not great. It's not consistent. And, and that's one of the things that I tell folks if you've got a good season blend or a good sauce and that can be universal, that'll help your food taste good no matter how basic it is or how um, you know traditional it is. But the spice was the dry formula of the sauce, um, which is made of 16 different spices, very light on the sodium. That's, um, it's, it's like a very flavorful season salt, I would say, or your top season, that you would use but without all the sodium but it goes from soup to nuts whether you want to go and use it on your eggs for breakfast or you want to use it on your french fries you want to season your fish your potatoes uh, with a little oil in the oven in the pan you don't have to pull out five six different bottles to create a season blend even on thanksgiving you can put the spice on your turkey you can use it on your string beans or your brussels sprouts you don't have to have so many different slices and things to make your food flavorful and then if you want to add a, a an herb um, to enhance it or to give it a little spin to it, you're more than welcome to do that, and it won't um, and mess up mess with the integrity of the flavor of your food. The sauce is the wet formula of that: uh, olive oil, citrus, fresh chopped garlic, same 16 spices, um, and some extra ones. And it's a matter of using that to saute with or to marinate your steaks or to create uh, salad dressings with. It's a one-and-done, one-shop one, and done, one, and, uh, one shop wonder. Uh, for those that are in the kitchen that never cook, whether you're a novice or a chef or you're young, you're, you're a college student, uh, this is just the things that you want to keep with you. And, and if you're a camper or you like traveling, um, I always take the spice with me when I go to the movies because I shake it on my popcorn. I always keep a bottle of sauce with me. Um, when I'm traveling, because sometimes I go to a restaurant and it just doesn't do it for me. And I can just pull this bottle out, sprinkle a little bit in, or pour some of the sauce on it, and I'm good to go. So the sauce and the spice uh, are definitely the the two best condiments and the two best lifesavers that you need to have in your kitchen, which you can only get. Um, through my website, com, and I try to ship within 7 to 14 days so you can get into cooking and having fun with it.
0: So before we let you go, where on social media, where on the web should they check you out at?
1: Everyone should definitely check me out at com. We're actually uh, revamping my website right now, so if it is down, um, don't worry. We're still popping, uh, but you can catch me at Twitter, um, at Chef McCargo, Facebook, at Chef Aaron McCargo Jr., or Instagram, at Chef McCargo. So all three of those, I'm answering questions. I'm I'm making sure that I respond to the fans and then those that have food questions. And um, I always want to be be accessible to anybody that wants to find out what Aaron McCargo Jr. is doing and how they can get the sauce, the spice, a Big Bear grill, or just uh, be a participant in foodie friend. Um, I'm all around and just trying to continue to, Make people happy, give people hope, and tell people to live in the moment and do what you do.
0: Sounds great. Thank you, Chef.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate your time and I appreciate this interview. This is awesome.
0: This dream house is brought to you by Appliance Factory and Mattress Kingdoms. 40 to 80% off. President's Day sale going on now. Good morning, Ohio. James Lewis of this dream house here with Matt Lors of the Arnold Classic. Thank you, Matt, for joining us. We're excited to talk about the kids. One of the, it's not new, but newer kind of things.
2: My pleasure to be with you here, James. Uh, yeah, the Arnold Sports World Kids and Teens Expo uh, features a lot of family fun and sports and activities uh, for the whole family. Uh, and that takes place March 7th. And eighth at the Bricker Building at the Ohio Expo Center inside uh, the Arnold Sports Festival, which which is uh, you know the the 80 sport event that goes on downtown. This is where the focus for the the kids events are, and the Sports World Kids and Teens Expo is uh, really a place. It's a celebration of sports uh, and fitness for family, uh, with a wide variety of all kinds of interactive and and hands-on sports and activities uh, for for kids. Of all ages.
0: The amazing thing about the event, because it just started out as like what a corner in the Arnold, and now, I mean, it's so big that it's its own event.
2: It, it has. It's, it's gotten uh, much bigger over the years. Um, you know, well, You know the, the Arnold's always had uh, a large amount of athletes. We're up to 22,000 athletes now, but the majority of those are school-age youth. Uh, and most of those sports have all moved, the the youth-focused sports, have all moved up towards the Ohio Expo Center. And um, so you're going to have things like the uh, martial arts up there, cheerleading and dance, gymnastics, futsal, baton twirling. Uh, so the youth-focused sports there, but in the middle of it, the hub of it is this place where um, kids can go and find a new sport, and 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 our goal is to they they keep doing it and keep it up and you know live uh, the, uh, healthier, happier lives because of it. Um, a lot of good things going on there. Like it's it's free. The best part is, is that it's free for kids 14 and under. Um, so they get to go around and they get to try more than 20 different sports and events that are led by the area of professional teams. So if you want to uh, try baseball, the Columbus Clippers minor league team for the Indians will be showing you how. Uh, there's football, there's um, basketball, uh, not basketball, uh, skateboarding, uh, and all kinds of great things. New this year is uh, an Arnold's Strongest Teen competition. So not only are the things that uh, kids can try, some people can sign up and do some competitions within. the the sports world as well. Awesome.
0: And then the nice thing is if you've been over at the main expo and you already have a ticket there, you can use that to get in as
2: well, right? You can, yes. uh, The uh, Arnold Fitness Expo ticket is good uh, for all the events at the Ohio Expo Center as well. And there's also a free shuttle service that goes back and forth between the venues. So if folks want to go out there and park at the uh, Ohio Expo Center where parking is relatively easy, they can do that and hop on their free shuttle, go downtown, come back and check out some of the kids' activities or vice versa, Uh, you know, whatever everybody's schedule allows for.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Appliance Factory and Mattress Kingdom is your kitchen appliance headquarters. Save 30 to 60% every day on everything from LG and GE to KitchenAid and Samsung. If you're considering upgrading your home appliances or mattresses, stop at any one of Appliance Factory and Mattress Kingdom locations. Plus, Mattress Kingdom inside Appliance Factory has largest Tempur-Pedic, Stearns and & Foster, and Sealy selection. Visit ApplianceFactory.com.